You're listening to the Movie Crew Podcast, and tonight we're talking about Akira Kurosawa's 1961 samurai classic, Yojimbo, and Sergei Leone's Spaghetti Western, A Fistful of Dollars. You no trouble. Me, fifth element. You will be a weapon. You will be a minister of death, praying for war. But until that day... You are cute. Sound off like you got a pair. Ah, yes. I was wondering what would break first. Your spirit. All your money. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. God is dead. This city is headed for a disaster of biblical proportion. What do you mean, biblical? What he means is Old Testament, yes. Mayor. Real wrath of God type stuff. Dead fire and brimstone coming down from the skies. Rivers and seas boiling. Forty years of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes, the dead rising from the grave. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together. That's hysteria. Podcast. I am Brian Elkins. With me tonight, Mr. Paul Williams. What is happening? Oh, not too much, man. We're doing Yojimbo and A Fistful of Dollars. Now, there is a reason that we're doing these two films back-to-back on the podcast tonight. Yes, it is. Which one of these films did you see for? Oh, I saw A Fistful of Dollars first, of course. I mean, that's the one that was uh, shown yeah. all the time on TV when we were growing up, you know? Yeah. I, I don't Same think you see that on TV too much anymore. I mean, maybe on classic movie channels, but I mean, that was like on TBS. That was on the like, regular cable channels when we were growing up. That, and I remember seeing uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly a lot, too. Oh, yeah, dude. They know they showed all these Clint Eastwood westerns, not just the spaghetti westerns. Like, you know, I remember Pale Rider being on TV and uh, High Plains Drifter, all those films. Two Mules for Sister Sarah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one, man. Uh, Shirley MacLaine. I like that film a lot. Um, yeah. Clint Eastwood was just on television, whereas, you know, Kurosawa and, you know, these Mifune samurai films, they, they just, they weren't on television. Well, it's it kind of strange because um, Kurosawa was um, greatly criticized in Japan for making films that were too Americanized. Yeah, but it's the, you're an Eastern, Eastern filmmaker that is too influenced by Western, Western influences and Western filmmaker. Um Kurosawa was a really big fan of John Ford and those, you know, cause he did so many of those Westerns with, um, John Wayne. Yeah, man. Like just so many, like I think stagecoach is just one of those movies you watch in film school to show you how to edit a scene, how to put a scene together. That, that, that movie is still, yeah, I would say that movie is superbly edited. Kurosawa was like, okay, well, if you guys think I'm a, a Western filmmaker, meaning uh, an American influenced filmmaker, that's okay. That's that's fine. Um, I, I'm gonna go with that and really put that into the aesthetic of the film. And Yojimbo definitely has the American Western kind of feel to it. The way that Yojimbo is shot, you know, I, I can totally agree with you on that. Like 
you can see a lot of like Hollywood influence. Oh yeah, especially um, like on the the width of the street, you know, like it looks more like a western town. Yeah, you I know, mean, for a Japanese if, film, the one prominent final showdown. I mean, it almost goes down exactly how you would see like guns at, at high noon. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I, I know you do know what you mean. Where the it's very build up and then the violence is over and 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 quick. That that's a point in time in Japanese history where you could kind of almost relate it to the Wild West. So I can see where the 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 kind of crossover and adapting, you know, a gunslinger for a samurai or a ronin. Samurai movies, Kurosawa had been doing a while even before this. I mean, especially Seven yes. Samurai, which I think was in 54, uh, which is just a masterpiece film. God, it is so good, man. It's just action-packed, wall-to-wall. I can't recommend yes, that one enough. Do. But th- this one is... Kurosawa took those those ideas of the the long shots, and he do- he does change them up, and he does make things different. And I don't want to say make it sound like Kurosawa ripped off John Ford, because that is totally not true. Oh no, not at all. I mean, like it's cool to see that the the sphere of influence where you have an American filmmaker making in a western that inspires a Japanese filmmaker to make a samurai film that inspires an Italian to once again turn around and, and make a western. Yeah, so it almost it almost goes full circle in the end. Yeah, it, it just involves a lot of countries and a lot of inspirations, and it is cool. But I will say, Sergio Leone, <laughs> Sergio Leone totally ripped off, and he did get sued um, yes. for ripping off Yojimbo. Yes, yes, because I mean, there's there's one thing if you're gonna if you're gonna pay homage to someone who has influenced you, and then there's another thing. To literally rip their movies off scene for scene. It, it's mind-blowing. When you watch them back-to-back, you're just taken aback. It's like, oh my gosh, this is exactly like Yojimbo right here. Yes. Literally, even camera placement and everything, just a shot, scene for scene. There's a, uh, there's a video you can go on YouTube and watch where Oh, they do guy, the side-by-side comparisons? Yeah, he, he, he literally cut. I watched that too. Yojimbo... And fistful of dollars together, and had them playing side by side, and I was just like, "Holy crap!" Well, I mean, having similar shots is one thing, but I mean, the the story ripoff is the most jaw dropping, shocking offense. I mean, he rips off the yep. movie almost note for note, beat for beat. We're saying rip off, and I don't mean that in a condescending way. I mean, I I guess we kind of do. I do we do we mean that in a condescending way? I don't know. Fistful of Dollars is still no, good. I, 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 I guess I look at it like this. Apparently, the film that Kurosawa made, Sergio Leone, obviously was extremely inspired by this film. And so inspired that he literally took it upon himself to make an unofficial remake of the movie. Uh, okay, I guess, so you're saying like he had kind of an attitude of it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission? That's kind of how it seems, man, because what kind of <laughs> it does kind of seem that, that way is there's, there's a story that Clint Eastwood tells about the tree. And apparently they, they wanted this tree really bad. And it was in this person's yard. And apparently Sergio Leone goes and he's like, yeah, I'm from the highway department. And this tree, we're worried it's going to fall in the highway. So we're just going to cut it down. Like apparently the landowner was just like, oh, OK. 
they cut the tree down and literally moved it to where they were shooting at. If you'll go through the trouble of jacking a man for his tree in his yard, he would have no problem ripping off someone someone else's film. Paul's like, man, if you cut down trees, you will steal movie ideas. The two go hand in hand. They're, it's like night and day, brother. Kurosawa did, he did say he enjoyed the film. He said Fistful of Dollars was good. Um, I think he even liked Of course liked Mag- he would. I mean, he even liked he- Magnificent Seven. What do you mean, of course he would? What do you mean, of course, of he, course would? he would? He would, of course, he would like somebody stealing his movie and he would say it's good. Okay. He himself enjoyed Western. Okay, but, seeing- but this is clearly a different style of Western, though, man. Like, you can't oh, compare, yeah, you no, can't no, compare no, you're, John you're Ford totally right. to Sergei Leone. So I can't see how you're saying, of course. This was the, that was the first spaghetti Western ever made. Exactly. It's, it was a, that different take on the Western. Again, this is totally a departure from an American Western. I do want our listeners to know, like, Spaghetti Westerns and what John Ford were doing, though, and Howard Hawks, those are totally two different things. Yeah, yeah, they're not the same thing. I still, I don't think Fistful of Do- Dollars is a bad film. It just sucks that he didn't get permission to just remake it. And I, I really respect Leon as a filmmaker. Um, Sergei Leone is, is just a, a masterful filmmaker, but this is just kind of one of those things where it's like, eh, dude, that's, that's really disrespectful, and you're kind of out of line for that. But, uh, hey, he's a good filmmaker, and uh, it started his career, so what the fuck do I know? It's still a dick move. Touche, sir. Well, dude, uh, you want to take a break, play the trailer for Yojimbo, and we'll be right back. Alright, welcome back. That was the trailer for Yojimbo or Yohimbo, however you want to say it. I say Yojimbo because that's how I always heard it said. Don't hate us. Yes. Sorry for Americanizing it, but so Yojimbo, meaning the bodyguard, not to be confused with the Kevin Costner movie, also starring Whitney Houston. Which, oh, hey, well, uh, when that was released in Japan, was that was that retitled Yo Yojimbo? I don't know. It was whatever the Japanese word for horrible movie. Whatever, man. Come on, that was Lawrence Kasdan. Watch your mouth. That's nineties gold. Anyway, nineties um, <laughs> gold. Nineties gold. Who didn't hear that soundtrack every second on the radio in the 90s? Oh, my God. It was, like, up until, like, 96, I swear, that was still being played on the radio. Um, Okay. Yeah. We're digressing. Uh, So, Yojimbo, before we get into this film, this is uh, what a lot of people would consider their favorite Kurosawa movie or his best movie, some would argue. I'm torn between two of Kurosawa's as for which one's my favorite. 
whether it be Yojimbo or Seven Samurai. Seven Samurai is really good. I really, really enjoy Seven Samurai. I also like Stray Dog and High and Low, um, which all three of those also have uh, Toshiro Mifune, who is the star of this film as well. Huge, famous, super famous Japanese actor. If you don't know this guy, you're either really young or you've been living under a rock. He was like the baddest samurai ever. (laughs) In every movie he was in, all of his films, or all the ones I've seen, he was just like super badass. And it's funny because if you you look at Yojimbo... I even see influences in in modern anime. Well, not just only anime. Yojimbo. I mean, just dude, think think of all the movies well, this yeah. is inspired. Like, I mean, even Bruce Willis's um, that Walter Hill movie. What was it called? Last Man Standing. That yeah, Last Man Standing. Yeah, that was also um, kind of a, a, a version of Yojimbo. And I think they actually credited Akira Kurosawa for that one. So, uh, point to them. Mifune. He, dude, he played this role or like a version of this role or this type of role, however, however you want to say it, like in so many movies after this. He was, he, if you were doing a samurai film, that was, he was your go to man. I, you know, I, I will say this is, it's pretty cool. Uh, 1961. This is one of the first Kurosawa films that's got a nice big two, three, five aspect ratio. I mean, this is a nice Panavision. Super wide frame. It's it's good, man. It looks great. It, it's shot very well. I really like a lot of the lighting. And, and I imagine, you know, I'm not really a filmmaker, but I imagine it's really, it's hard enough as it is to shoot at nighttime, you know, nowadays. But back then, you you know, they were shooting on black and white film. Oh, dude, I was reading that so they, I had, imagine- they had three arc lights in the entire lighting department in Toho Studios. That's all they had. And they used every single one for this movie. Jesus. It's crazy. They had three. That's not really putting out nothing compared to the lights that are used these days. Again, you know, uh, the Japanese film economy was, you know, it was, it was a little bit smaller, obviously, because they have yeah. a much smaller population. So less people are buying uh, the tickets. But uh, when, you, yeah, when you're talking about uh, the cinematography, uh, Kuzo uh, Maragawa, I think I'm pronouncing the name right. Um, he's the guy that shot um, Rushamon. Uh, another Kurosawa yeah. film from 1950, and this is man, this is the first time they had worked together since then. Matagawa actually had worked for uh, Daie. Kurosawa was Toho, so I mean they they signed up for those studios and they you know they worked there. Well, Kurosawa, this is his first film where no, I think it's his second actually. I I think I'm I think I'm mis- misremembering that, but I think it's this his second film that he actually put out for his production company uh, that he formed on his own. And Toho just released it. So it still has a Toho logo in the front, but this was Kurosawa's baby. Which, and by the way, that um, that Toho logo, not changed very much at all. Man, why would you? Why would you want to change it? <laughs> I mean, it's <laughs> I mean, so it's iconic, like, man. It's, 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 yeah, it is iconic. But I mean, it's like I look at other, well, maybe it's also because I'm looking, I look at a lot of Western, you know, or American or Hollywood studios. Look at all the different, different universal logos there then well i mean um, they've, they've updated Warner a little bit like it's it's a yeah, little it's, it's gone shinier over the years and it's been in color yeah and the color's gotten it's went from black and white to color but essentially the logo is still the same which which i actually you know i actually kind of find that really interesting and really cool to a point because show some history you know, some anime that i watched had that logo right at the beginning of it godzilla films man i mean do a lot of films 
I mean, uh, Toho is like Japan's biggest studio. It's you know, it's like Walt Disney here. Yeah, it's it's not the only studio. There's other studios. You know, there's Dae and and some more, but uh, it's yeah, Toho, I, think, I think it's the biggest. Yeah, Toho Toho is big. Let's talk the beginning of the film. Movie starts off. We see Toshiro Mifune. He's walking. You can tell he's already he's a samurai, dude. What what did you think of his walk? And uh, I don't know, man. When I first saw it, like got drunk. <laughs> yeah, I, I I can see what you're saying. I've everyone's always compared it to like, oh, it's got kind of like a ballet. And oh, no, 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 no. I thought I thought I thought he just hit too much sake. It it is it is a it's very different and it's very distinct. Like it's something you notice, well, especially right when they get uh when they get up close, right before he picks the stick up. Oh yeah, I love that. We already know right then and there from him doing that that he is a masterless samurai. He's a ronin. He has no clue. Well, not only that, he's but just it, literally yeah. picking up sticks, and he's like, "Okay, well, wherever the stick lands, that's the direction I'm gonna go." For his case, it actually turns out not to be too good for him. I don't know. I, th- I think I think things worked out in the end there. Well, they do. But <laughs> I was watching a little bit closer this time. I wanted to know how much money he actually ended up with at the end of the film. The Sanjiro character. Yeah. Oh, uh, and, and that is the, the thing. Um, he is kind of like a a nameless samurai, Toshiro Mifune's character, but he does give a name. Uh, I forget what the first part is, but his last name's easy to remember because it's Sanjiro, which is the name of the yeah. sequel to Yojimbo. So super easy to remember. And uh, what, what's the what's the translation for it? It's like, uh, it's like some 30-year-old mulberry, mulberry field? Yeah. It's, is that what it's it is? Something like that. 30th sun or 30 sun mulberry field. Or- and he, he, of course he like, he just comes up like with the name, by just like literally looking out the window. And I guess those were mulberry, uh, mulberry plants out there. I don't know. Or yeah. Yeah. They were mulberry trees. Yeah. I have, I have no idea what those look like. So he really doesn't seem like he, he cares about too much of anything. He like, runs into that know, farmer and the wife. Yeah. The farmer and his wife <laughs> and, and their son is, there's like uh, some gangs in the town. He's gonna go join them. He wants the good life. He's, he's, he's tired yeah, of eating he's rice. Gonna, you know, apparently this whole town had been taken over by these two two gangs. Essentially, one is like these sake brewers. They're in the sake business, and the other is the silk merchants. <laughs> yep. So you have the sake merchants and the silk merchants. I, this is it's pretty interesting. You have Mifune. He comes rolling into town. Uh, and you get that great shot uh, with the dog bringing a hand in. A yeah, dog with a hand, yeah. in, a human hand, gets cut off in its mouth, just strolling down the street. Yeah, this is normal. And, and, the, and the look he kind of gives the dog, he's like, hmm. Yeah, okay, oh. there, now that's something we really haven't addressed. There are a lot of comedy touches in this film. This is in no way like a dead serious movie at all. No. A couple scenes in the movie were like, there's like loss of limb. It's a little over the top. You got to think that was that must have been pretty shocking for 1961. I mean, you're talking about before Night of the Living Dead came out. Another there's another fight scene. I think it's the I think it's the ne- very next fight scene he's getting ready to have in the film in, the, in this little town square, and he cuts a dude's arm off. Yeah, and that's 19- what I was talking about. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. that's pretty gory. Mafuni, when he comes into town, he he does see these um, band of gangs, but before he gets into that fight, he meets the mayor, who is a little quirky. <laughs> he comes out, or I guess 
Yeah, he's, yeah, he is. Uh, he's, he's the mayor, right? With, with the sticks yeah. announcing the time. Yeah, that's that's the mayor. Yeah, and then he runs into the restaurant owner. Yeah, I, I guess it would be like a a sake shop or owner? sake bar. Or I don't, I don't know what it is. Yeah, he puts yeah, yeah, he puts sake in, in the like tea, right? Bar. Yeah, he and, puts um, uh, sake in the tea, and he's got he's got old food. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he he of course you know tries to warn Sinjiro about the gangs in the town, and maybe uh, maybe you should just go on and you know get out of town. You know, I really think that that was almost a bad idea for the sake shop owner because at that point in time, it almost seems like it actually intrigues Sinjiro. Oh yeah, yeah. He's like right away. He's like, oh, uh, there's a lot of money to be made here, and I can just I can, I can clean up all these bad guys here. Shinjiro, he's like, there's two rival gangs here. I can make a really pretty penny playing one off the other. Yeah, and that's which that's, is actually really smart writing, to be honest with you. Yeah, no, no, no. This this script is 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 very good. It's and it's well layered too. Like the the farm boy in the beginning, he even comes back at the end of the movie. I mean, like. Every scene exists in this for a reason. But yes. I, I, I do want to stop here at the in the restaurant when we're or in the sake bar, whatever we're gonna call it. I love the cinematography in this movie. It is so beautiful. There's a there's a lot of um wide lens shots, there's a lot of very deep focus where you can see so many planes and fo- like things in the foreground, things in the background. It, yes. It's just such a deep focus, man. And they play a lot with how this sake bar is designed with the slats and the, and the blinds, like how they open and they shut. And when they open up, you can see things and the way Kurosawa and Maragawa uh, uh, frame things and they put frames within frames and you have boxes within boxes and you have actors come in in the sake shop and they'll, they'll block certain people so you can't see them and then they'll turn and move, and then the camera will pan over to the left, and you'll get a, a different perspective with a new character. It's just so beautiful. The camera work is just absolutely amazing, and I yes, really, I mean, it was like, really love it in this well, bar I mean, scene. It just looks so. I mean, and even considering for the time when this movie was made, it, it looks really, really good. Like, like you could easily see this movie being remade shot for shot and frame for frame today. And it still wouldn't look as good as it did back in 1961. This is a movie you should watch uh, for, for blocking camera placement. All of it is in service to tell the story. It's accenting uh, what characters are doing, uh, helping motivations and just telling the story in such a unique visual way. And, and not only that, but the, the actors and actresses, like the facial expressions and their and their mannerism. I mean, oh man, I, do, I love Mafune's constant like uh, shoulder. Uh, he's constantly like rolling his shoulders every now and again. Yeah, shoulder, the shoulder rolls. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, what, what are you doing? And uh, I was reading somewhere uh, it said that that was a he was doing that. You know, his character may have had fleas. It's an interesting little trait that he he has in the movie. And and like right after he meets the the sake bar owner, he he goes over, he gets into a fight with these gangs, and man, this is a fucking this is a cool scene, man. This is amazing. Oh yeah, dude. It is it is a badass scene. He tells he tells the coffin maker, "Hey, get two coffins ready. 
goes over there, gets into a fight, comes back, and then he's like, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I meant three coffins. Yeah. It's like, oh, my God, that is so badass. There are two big rival gangs in the area. What's the quickest way to get their attention? You know? (laughs) Um, Go kill some of their gang members. uh, They get in kind of this bidding war with Sanjuro, where it's like, you know, the silk merchants... Uh, and the Saki, they're, you know, they're constantly, you know, trying to bid him and win him over. And he, he's, he starts playing both sides. Uh, one, there's, there's a, there's a mom, a dad and a, and a son. And, uh, I can't yeah. remember if they're, they're, they're the silk merchants, right? I think so. Yeah. They were silk merchants. Yeah. <laughs> I love how they, they hire the samurai and they're, they hire, they, they're paying him like, uh, was it like 50 row or something? And yeah. they're giving him half up front. And then the wife is immediately conspiring to have the son kill Sanjiro, their their new samurai they just hired, uh, right after they have this huge battle, just stab him in the back. And then that way they don't have to pay him at all. And then get the money they have already paid him. Then get that back now. <laughs> and then when the son's like, oh, come on, mom, that's, that's a little harsh. She starts like <laughs> berating him. Like, come on, you've only killed one person. What kind of son are you? He's like, Ma, come on. It was one guy. I stabbed him. It was real good. I mean, <laughs> this family is cold hearted. Just oh, no they worse. are. They are some they are some ruthless people, man. <laughs> There's even a moment where like they're getting ready to have a fight in, in one scene and like the the mother of, of the the yeah, it's the mom. She's like rushing all the little the geishas into uh like I don't know, like a, a little closet. To lock him up, and she's like, oh, "I'm not gonna have any of you got any of you slaves run away." Locks him up in a bamboo closet. Yeah, this, 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 the, oh, they're just terrible. Like all everybody in this movie, I guess, with the exception of the, the coffin maker and the the sake bar owner, man, they're they're ter- they're just everyone's just terrible. So it's like they're they're getting ready to get into a fight, and the whole reason the fight stops is because there's a government official that shows up. Yeah, and like the minute he shows up, there is a great scene where they're bribing him. Like this dude, this dude is like just straight getting paid off. You can always get the sense that Kurosawa really didn't care much for government officials and bureaucrats. Like he just kind of had yeah. a little, <laughs> kind of had a little disdain for them, just maybe a little bit. Um, it seems like almost in in most of his films I can think of, there's always a scene where he's he's got something he's got to say about them. There's the leader of the the, the sake merchants. Doesn't he hire like these other assassins to kill some people and like, or so kill some? Government oh, oh yeah, yeah. The the Saki, yeah, the Saki merchant does hire. Like, I don't know if he hires them or if they're just two of his samurai that he has on his payroll. He gets them to go kill some official in some other town, and that's how they get um, the sheriff, this or the, official, yeah, or the inspector, elite. whatever they're called, in their town to get yeah. him out of there so they can continue fighting. Yeah, that's some fucked up shit right there, dude. Which like that? I mean, that sets up the entire like oh, like the last half of the movie where because what Sanjuro does there is like oh man, it's it's really smart where he actually meets these guys, uh, kidnaps them, takes them hostage, and he turns them in to the to the silk merchants. So now they have these guys, and they can prove the sake merchants paid these guys to kill them. Next up, you have this lady named Nue, who is the wife pretty much of this farmer who has a really bad gambling debt and gets involved with the sake merchants and he owes them 
money. So they're going to pretty much take his wife and sell her into prostitution to pay off his debt. Uh, yeah. Which is actually, actually, believe it or not, from what I understand, was a pretty common practice at that point in time in Japan. And this is something that's really different. Like, if this was an American movie, you would question this. Like, wh- wait, okay, why is this guy? Because the guy that had the gambling debt lost his wife. He built a house right next to the house where she's living with another man that's having sex with yeah. her. Yeah. And yep. they also had a kid together. So he's also he's living there with the kid. Now, in an American film, that's a, a sign of weakness and and creepy. Well, I think I <laughs> little, think that little was creepy. the whole point. But well, you know, no, I think no, in a, in a Japan, I think in the Japanese though, and because this is a Japanese film, you know, he's been dishonored. How would you? How dishonored would you feel if you owed somebody some money and they straight up took your wife and built a house or bought the house right beside yours? And was basically keeping your wife as a captive inside house. No, no, hold up, hold up. Yeah, the husband, you know, the gambler, he's the one who built yeah, the built house. His house. Yeah, yeah. Beside the guy that took his wife. Yeah, yeah. That's what yeah, I'm saying. It wouldn't. It, that would never fly in an American movie. You would always. You just be like, okay, well, well, why didn't you go just like take her one day? It's just. It's one of those yeah, things we, that, like, in an American movie, if if this same story was brought over like word for word almost, which. We'll get into in a fistful of dollars. Um, it's just a little weird, but in a Japanese movie uh, film, I think it, it works fine. Yes, I don't really see any motive for Sanjiro doing any of the things that he does. Oh, money! Other than for profit. Yeah, exactly. You know, other than for profit. If you if you almost look at Yojimbo, it's really kind of about somebody, a man who or a person who. It's kind of almost lost his way and then still finds that he is actually still a pretty good hearted person in the end. I always find this scene really interesting for how mad he gets. The fact yeah. that he is giving in to this sentiment feeling and feeling sympathy for this family, it irritates him a little bit. You know, the prisoner exchange we were talking about earlier with the, um, the guys that killed the government official this woman that the other clan stole, they do a prisoner exchange and that's when you get the boy and the husband, they, they show up at the prisoner exchange and that's, that's how you find this information out. And there's this moment in the sake bar and you you get the story, you get the backstory about how he had the gambling problem and lost her. He leaves, the husband does and Sanjiro and the, and the sake bar owner, they're just sitting there and Sanjiro is very disgusted. He's like, man, people like that just, they disgust me. And I mean, pretty much Sandro tricks. He also tricks uh, Yoshitora. He kind of pretty much tricks him into telling him where this girl is being held. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because he goes there and he's like, hey, man, you know, we see if there's enough guards on your on your girl because they already took her once. So they may take her again. Turns around and snicks, snicks, snicks. Oh, no, that is and great. Guards. Yeah, no, he goes up there yep. with like the, the idiot brother. Like, oh, my gosh, like. There was a scene, like, there's a scene earlier when he's asking the coffin maker, like, uh, like, how did our side do? Like, how many coffins did you make for us? And he's like, oh, yeah. I made, like, three for this many and four for you. And he's like, he's got to stop and count it on his fingers. <laughs> yeah, he is. He is. A, a yeah. And, like, Kurosawa gives him this really big, comical, like, almost unibrow. It's not quite a unibrow. It's got a little bit of separation. <laughs> the pussy brow. Oh, my gosh, dude. It's so huge. 
That, well, apparently, of, dude, um, Kurosawa was definitely playing the comedy up here. Yeah, but apparently in Japan, dude, if you have like really thick eyebrows, that's that's a sign of manliness, dude. Okay, yeah, dude, but if you have a goddamn unibrow, that's <laughs> fucking the side. Like, seriously, you got a caterpillar crawling above your eyes. You telling me yep, that's a sign of all. sexiness? No, come on, dude. No, this guy is obviously like the village idiot. You know, I, and that's why you know that's why uh, Mufuni wants to take him, uh, take him along. He's like, oh, that's totally cool, and he even tricks him. He's just he just goes up to him. He's like, oh man, they're all murdered. Uh, quick, go get help. And dude just runs off like the idiot that he is. Yeah, and, because he, I mean, like, see, that's one thing. And then Mufuni just goes in there and kills everybody. It's great. Yeah, it didn't take nothing to uh, convince Yusatora, man, to go to go back down and he was just like oh well the the silk merchant stole her <laughs> yeah. uh yeah vi- vi- village idiot they burn the house where they're storing the silk and it's you know it's it's getting no joke almost at this point and they like there's a cool scene where like uh they bu- bust open like all the sake kegs and there's like sake pouring out everywhere yeah because the, the, the they're getting other, retribution the merchants, yeah retaliate the sake merchants start getting a little wise here uh-huh. And now we haven't mentioned uh, there is a guy that shows up, one of the brothers in, in the sake merchant. He shows up and he has a pistol. Unosuke. And this it's a big deal. Like, it, this is the only pistol in town. In fact, it may be like the only pistol these people have ever seen. Unosuke, he, he's kind of a fucking badass. Oh, really? I think he's kind of a snake in the grass, man. Dude, I don't think this guy's a badass at all, dude. Yeah, but he's like he's like a snake in the grass. But I mean, you he's know. a snake in the grass, and he shoots people. Uh, he doesn't have his hands like sticking out of his, of his sleeves. He's he's actually got him, you know, inside the komodo, and he's he brings him out yeah. through the neck opening. He'll bring the pistol out, and it's it's got kind of like an eel snake worm imagery to it. It's it's pretty cool. I don't know. Maybe you're right, man. Maybe maybe I'm I kind of misread his character. But when I said badass, I mean I didn't mean like. He's a badass fighter or anything, but like he's kind of like the main villain. Oh no! Let, let's let's be a hundred percent clear here. Mafune's Sanjiro character is the only badass in this film. Everybody else, yeah, is he weak. is the only badass. Like when they go and they have their big battle um, between both sides before the inspector shows up, you see what a bunch of cowards the entire town is. Oh, dude, that shit is cool as shit because he's sitting up on the like Sanjiro sitting up on the perch. Oh yeah, no, he goes up to the top of the fire tower and he just sits yeah, up there. Yeah, he's sitting there, he's just watching. Oh, that is that is a great frame too, man. Like you want to talk about that depth of field and using the frame, like. Uh, oh yeah, you know Mafune's like almost dead center up at the the very top of the frame, and then you have these guys uh, at the lower third just coming in from the right and left side, and but they're coming in from all these different uh, foreground and background elements. So some of them are coming mm-hmm. up, and you just see some weapons, and then the guys in the background you can see their whole bodies, and it's just such a beautiful shot with so much depth. It it's it's so well done, Re- really well done. And the thing is, this whole character like he's getting a kick out of this at this point in time oh yeah yeah, when yeah. He, when, it's like fun for him. it's his first, amusement like, yeah yeah sanjiro is like this is this is like entertainment for him and uh which actually kind of comes back to bite him in the ass a little bit later on yeah because the, the guy that has the pistol he ends up figuring out that sanjiro helped out the the, the prostitute lady her husband and the kid 
and he, yeah. he let him go. He yeah, he figures out that they he's been double crossing them the whole fucking time. I love this scene, man. Um, I kind of feel like there's uh, Quentin Tarantino lifted a little bit of of this section right here uh, for Inglorious Bastards when they're they're down there in the bar in that film. You know what I'm talking yeah. about with Michael Fassbender? Yeah. He, he does the three, and that's what gives him away in that movie. There's a scene where there's there's a note that the farmer wrote him a thank you note to Sanjiro, and they put it on the table. And then here comes the pistol guy walking in. He's very confrontational. And the sake bar owner, who's friends with Sanjiro at this point, kind of, he's trying to get the, the note away. And it's 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 pretty well done, man. It's, it's pretty suspenseful. And then at this point in time, Sanjiro gets the living crap kicked out of him. I love that, though, because you don't see him get his ass kicked. You see him get thrown around some. No, you don't. It goes It goes straight from... That scene where they like they grab the note, and then the next thing you know, it's you see some guy on the floor, and he turns around, and his face is all fucked up, and you're like, "Oh my god, it's the samurai!" Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. And that dude, that is a great, a great reveal. It's 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 just like, oh wait, wait what's going on? Is he dead? Is that him? That is a very the the makeup. I will say that makeup is very very well done too. Yeah, you know, yeah, I, I agree for you, especially for uh, for 1961. Yeah, yeah, that makeup is really good. Yeah. I yeah, I totally concur with that, Doctor. I don't mean to go back to this again. The, the scene where I don't know why I just thought about this, but it kind of made me chuckle, man. The one big mongoloid dude that carries a big wooden hammer. Oh yeah, yeah, I know the yeah, I know it, when he first sees him for the first time. Dude, that dude sticks out like a sore thumb. Like, I remember in that scene, my eyes went immediately to that guy. I was like, holy shit, that dude is big. Well, I like it. Like, yeah, when uh, Sanjiro sees him for the first time, he's just kind of like, you know, looking at everybody over in the crowd. And then he sees him and he's just like, holy (laughs) shit, you're a big guy. Um, Okay, everybody else is normal, but uh, that guy's huge. You a giant among men? Yeah, at at this point in time in, in the film, Sanjiro does does manage to escape. Oh no, dude, his uh, escape so. is great. When he gets in the empty um the empty uh container. Right. Rice container. Yeah, dude, that shot when he realizes that the lock's broken on the container and he can get in. Ah, dude, I love that. I love his acting. He just he he realizes it and you're like, "Man, what, what is he looking at? What is he seeing?" Yeah. And Kurosawa just holds on Mafuni's face, man, for a good bit. And he doesn't show you right away. And he he plays it really well. And it's just, it's lit so well. And then you see the answer shot and you're like, oh, oh wait, what does that mean? The lock's broken, so what? And then you see what he does and how he, he ends up getting out of this complex. And man, I think it's, this is, is really well done, really well lit. A filmmaker at the top of his game right here, son. Oh, yeah. Sinjiro does barely make it by the skin of his teeth, but uh, you, man, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm correct on that or not. That that might have been a coffin. What that he escapes in? Was it a coffin or was it a rice barrel? Oh no no no, dude! I'm talking about when he's inside the um. Oh, when he's when he's still yeah, inside. Yeah. The, okay, I got you. Yeah yeah yeah. I'm, no no, that's that's when he's made it back to the restaurant owner and everything. Um. Yeah, that is a coffin. Um, yeah, but he does get that. That's a rice bin that he gets in. I think a rice barrel. After this, you know, fight, he manages to get out in a co- in a coffin. You know, he, he's he's 
pretty fucked up at this point in time. He's pretty beaten and battered. And the restaurant owner just like, like he's getting his ass kicked by the uh, by the other gang. Oh yeah, dude. And I love that he just he straight lies and he's just like, yeah. He he went to the silk merchants and dude, that's where this movie gets grade aid insane. The restaurant owner and the coffin maker are carrying Mafune in a coffin to get out of the town to, I guess, take him somewhere where he can get some uh, get safe haven. And as they're going out, you see the sake merchants and they are just, dude, they are destroying, setting on fire the silk merchant's house, their estate. Oh, yeah, they're burning it down. And, yeah. yeah, and they are and their where like their warehouse and stuff like that. They burn that down too. And they're killing them as they're coming out of the door. This is all going on, and then uh, Mifune, like once everything's over, all the silk merchants are dead, and Mifune's like, "All right, let's get out of here." At that po- at that point, the coffin guy just coffin maker took off. He was like, "No, look, um, guys, <laughs> no, I fucked this. I'm gone, homie." <laughs> uh, I've I've seen I've seen a lot of people die. When the second person died, I was out of here. Uh, just letting you know, <laughs> and they they get the slow brother to help them take the, uh, the yeah the, yeah yeah to help him carry Mafuni out in the coffin yeah <laughs> yeah it's pretty good and you you know you can obviously guess the story goes from here like you know he gets better and he goes back in town and and whoops ass the Unasuke dude is getting ready to go and he goes to pull his gun out and Sanjiro gets really close to him and throws this like basically like a freaking shuriken out and hits him right dead in the back of his forearm of his gun hand and pretty much at that time you know he's sanger is pretty much then disabled him did he throw a knife or did he just hit him with his sword no dude it was a knife oh really it was a shuriken okay yeah yeah. that dude that seems so quick like that is one thing like all the knife fights in this movie are they man they're over in a flash it's just like he cuts him down fast yeah, even this end scene, you know, when they actually started fighting, like, you, the the Unasaki guy who was pretty much the big bad in the movie, he actually gets killed pretty quick by Shinjiro. Yeah, I really enjoy all the, the dust and, and kind of fog and stuff that they use in the film. Really, it, it, make, it makes, it does make Mifune, I mean, or Sanjiro look like a complete badass. Yeah, and there's a really weird... I guess it's not weird, but it's, uh, I guess it is kind of weird. Still it, it's a bizarre moment, like, after he kills the guy with the pistol. Well, I mean, it, he asks him, he's even, like, I feel you know, naked without my gun. At this point in time, they still have the sake owner. They've got him, like, tied up, like, kind of out for display in the middle of the street. Oh, 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 uh, yeah, the guy that owns the sake bar. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, you said sake owner. I thought you were talking about the sake merchant. I was like, what? I mean, the sake bar owner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, no, the guy that owns the, the restaurant or whatever. I, I do like no, the scene when the the guy with the pistol, and, and he's like, "I need my pistol. I feel naked without my pistol." Fucking Sanjiro gives it to him. He gives him the pistol, and he actually does like it, it, he does try to fire it at him, just like you would yeah. expect him to, you know. But I guess you know guns are still kind of new, and Mifune is he's always he always has this very assuredness of his equal, uh, of his skill and and what he's able to do. His ability. Yeah. yeah, you know what I mean. He never really feels threatened by anybody, Un- unless no, he doesn't no, have no. his sword. Because they do, they do make a point. Like you know that the jolly green giant dude that you were talking about earlier. Like he's like, yeah, this guy didn't have anything without. He's nothing without his sword, and he's he is kicking Mafuni's ass all over the place. 
it's really weird and and very open ended on Yojimbo. So I can totally see why Sanjuro was made a sequel to. It. Uh, well, uh, it was made because this movie made a crap ton of money. That's why it was made. Well, not only that, dude, but I mean, once again, Yojimbo is left wide open. The guy he ate. No, it is not the... left wide open. No, he does. The movie's over. This is this this film is finished. There is yes, no, nothing. Is. Nothing is left wide away. open. No, yeah, he, that's what's great. That's away. exactly that's that's his character. That doesn't mean it's left open. The story is finished. This guy is always going to yeah. be out there wandering. That's how we. That's how we met him, and that's how we're going to leave him. Crazy man, because it's like after all these events happen, he's just like, okay, peace up. <laughs> just well, I mean, just like, don't you feel like the only reason anything happens in this movie is just because Mifune's kind of bored? Like he just he really yeah I do get that I do get that he wants to get drunk he wants to get fed and he wants some damn entertainment like why why sit on top of the uh, the fire tower and watch the two clans fight you know I mean it just for shit with a big old smile on your face yeah why not I mean wasn't watching anybody do anything before so this is better than nothing yeah I mean that really is that that really is almost like the impression you get. One could say that Sanjiro is kind of a bit of a selfish character. He is up until a point, though. I mean, because... Yes, very I, true. He, he does save the family. And that yeah, is, but he even gets pissed off at himself that about is, that. He does, because it is weakness, and he is right. It is a weakness. It It's almost what gets him killed. He was doing fine until he did that. So, I mean, in a way, he is correct. You know, sometimes... Doing what's easy and doing what's right, you know, they're they're just not the same thing. <laughs> usually, usually yeah. doing the right thing takes a little bit more work. I feel like maybe part of him feels like he needs to have some kind of redemption for something. No, I don't feel that way at all. Maybe a little bit. No, I don't. In, in the scene where he saves the family, like, well, obviously he saves the family. Well, he saves the family, but he doing? doesn't seem like he needs redemption for anything. He well, doesn't, well, hold on. He doesn't come in the town. His... His, his motive was because he, he had a heart, Paul. Because he's the hero of the story. He's the anti-hero. I mean, he's bad, but he's not as bad as everybody else that he's fighting. Yes, he'll do things for money, but he's not as bad as everybody else in this town. Yeah, that's true. And by the way, just to let everybody know, this, this town is full of really fucked up people. <laughs> I don't think he comes in with like regrets and like some kind of past thing. Like, like he comes in and he literally is just like even when he goes in and, and sees the uh, the sake bar owner, he goes in and he's just like, you know, hey, I, w- I would love to have some tea and some rice. By the way, I can't pay you. <laughs> yeah, by the way, I don't have any money. He's like, but I'll get some work, you know. And it's I don't feel like he has any regrets at all. He's just literally living his life and dealing with the chips that he has i mean i guess he has some heroic intentions you, well, you almost you almost do the get the, the the impression that you know the way he kind of acts like maybe master before or whatever maybe he was glad to be free from his master you know you no one ever really goes into it doesn't ever go into really any detail about what happens prior to said story i mean he's the samurai but with no name he almost seems like he just wants to just party and have a good time and, yeah i mean and like, by him partying and having a good time it kind of put him in a bad situation 
He even he even kind of uh, invo- avoids conflicts. You know what I mean? Like even even when he goes and starts a fight with that gang for the very first time, the first time you see him draw his sword and kick some ass. Uh, I guess I'm gonna have to fight you guys. And the, the, the gang's like, "Hey, we're not cowards. We're not backing down from you." Mafuni's like, "All right, but it's gonna hurt." And they're like, "Come on, show us your worst." And he kills all three of them. <laughs> and uh, when what, one of the lines was like. Don't cry like a little bitch when you're laying on the ground or something. Uh, something along those lines. Yeah, something along. Maybe without the word bitch, but yeah, something like that. Oh, no, man. The version I watch, if you watch it with the English subtitles, it says bitch. And guys, like like well, like we said earlier, uh, this is probably, I mean, this is one of the more popular Kurosawa films. I mean, I, 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 it's definitely one of the more entertaining ones for sure. You can you can put this thing in today and, and still watch it. But man, there. If you're interested in this, if you haven't seen the movie, please, by all means, you should definitely have watched the movie by now. But if you're interested in this film and you, you want to do more research, there's a bunch of books that have been written um, about Yojimbo and about Kurosawa. I mean, so many. Uh, I can't even count. One of my favorites, though, uh, recommended reading. Donald Ritchie um, wrote a great book, um, and this is a guy that lived in Japan actually met Kurosawa and interviewed him. Um, his book is the, the films of Akira Kurosawa. So super easy title to remember the films of Akira Kurosawa. Can't, can't get any easier than that. Uh, Donald Ritchie. It's like, it's not that much, man. It's super cheap on Amazon. Yeah. I, I recommend it. Give it a read. And I guess with that, uh, let's take a break. Let's play the trailer for a fistful of dollars. And, uh, we'll be back. This short cigar belongs to the man with no name. This long gun belongs to the man with no name. This poncho belongs to the man with no name. Don't you want to see me? What's wrong, Ramon? You losing your touch? Shoot to kill, you better hit the heart. Aim for the heart or you'll never stop me. The man with no name. Danger fits him like a tight black glove. He is perhaps the most dangerous man who ever lived. Coffin's ready. (laughs) I don't think it's nice you laughing. You see, my mule don't like people laughing. He gets the crazy idea you're laughing at him. Now, if you apologize like I know you're going to, I might convince him that you really didn't mean it. I will stake four coffins. This man with no name is played by Clint Eastwood. He's going to trigger a whole new style in adventure. 
A Fistful of Dollars is the first motion picture of its kind. It won't be the last. All right, that was the trailer for Sergei Leone's 1964 A Fistful of Dollars. Although, if you saw it in the United States, it came out in 1967. Um, because this is... I don't know. Is this considered the first sp- spaghetti western? I guess. I guess this is the sp- first spaghetti western. Yeah. Right. Right. Yep. I mean, it's it's what people typically consider the first spaghetti western to be. I can't think of another spaghetti western that that I would consider to be a cons- uh, you know a legitimate spaghetti western uh, before this one. Like this is the one that I always I think of. Like, oh, this is the first. Well, apparently, back in the day, they were referred to as macaroni western. Oh man, come on, come on, come on. Macaroni No, hey, come on. Nothing says Italy like some spaghetti man with a spicy meatball. I'm sorry, Italian well, listeners. Yeah, I agree with Everybody you. Everybody just turned us off. But, right uh, like fuck these guys. On the behind the scenes, I mean Clint Eastwood says that you know that they were referred to as macaroni western. But they're not anymore. And we're not really gonna go into the plot of a fistful of dollars because no. it, is exactly the same as Yojimbo. Like everything that we described for Yojimbo, just take out swords and replace them with pistols and horses. Which, uh, yeah, well, um, didn't he? Um, Confederate gold. <laughs> doesn't Clint Eastwood say he's got a, a Colt forty-five, or is it? You just say he has a forty-five. Yeah, it's a Colt forty-five. He has. Um, and you know, bef- before we want to get even get started, man, I I have to say like. This is the start of the Man With No Name trilogy that Sergei Leone did. Um, starting this film, ending with The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. In the middle, there was uh, For A Few Dollars More. Yes. But, man, dude, the thing, outside of uh, Leone's style, the, the thing that draws me to these movies and I think really elevates them, the music that is provided by Ennio Marconi's score. Ennio Marconi is such a talented composer, man. Even some of his music is it's very unique for this film do not get me wrong and it gets even better once you get into say the good the bad and the ugly even his score is slightly reminiscent to the score or influenced by the score in Yojimbo. oh i don't think so man no i don't i don't feel like it's influenced I, at all i, I feel like a little i feel like yojimbo has got a very uh the score's got a, kind of a playful vibe to it and it's just, it's kind of light whereas this one like right away, you have you know you're in a spaghetti western from the score. Like the signature yeah. Italian noises are here, man. Like everything Marconi is is really famous for, it's here, man. I didn't know this. I actually I had to look it up because man, I thought uh, uh, Marconi did all of the Marconi did all the scores for these, and I was I was watching the film and it, it came up on the credits. It said music by. Um, Dan Salvo or something like that. And I was just like, what What the hell? And apparently he used a, a pseudonym on this film. I don't know why. I guess he was like, mm. I, don't, I don't know if this Italian Western thing's going to work out. And I don't know, but... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I, I want my actual name being affiliated with this shit. Man, I was reading somewhere on Wikipedia after the lawsuit that uh, Kurosawa had with Leon that his oh. name was added to the credits. And the story by department, but dude, I have the MGM Blu-ray, Man with the No Name trilogy. That's how I watched A Fistful of Dollars, and that Blu-ray 
does not mention Kurosawa in the opening credits at all. At all, does it? Yeah, nope. I, I dude, I checked twice, and I was like, man, what? No, I didn't see his name in there. Yeah, I read, I read that. I had to go and back and look. Yes, yes, you did. You are correct, my sir. You read that from Wikipedia because I read the same thing on Wikipedia, and I went back and looked myself, and it is nowhere on that Blu-ray. Yeah, maybe it's on like a DVD version, but it is definitely not on the Blu-ray. Because you know, sometimes they pull uh, it's elements. not on the DVD either. Oh, it's not. Nope. Because mm. I had the DVD. I had that uh, the Man with No Name trilogy DVD set too. Well, maybe maybe they had a different set, or maybe it was on the VHS. I don't know. It could have been on a home video. I'm not saying it wasn't. It's yeah. definitely not on any current home video version that I own or I've seen here in the here in the United States anyway. And this and this movie, where I would say it does differ, I feel like the Clint Eastwood's man with no name character is looking to either make himself known or to get some kind of gratification from it. I mean, of course, you know, once again, like Yojimbo, this is a character that is in a film and he's pretty much after money. It entices the money is what entices him. But I feel like what separates Clint Eastwood's character from Sanjiro is the fact that I feel like Clint Eastwood's character has something to prove. It, it goes from him doing it for money to him doing it for this town. Well, they give him a line of dialogue where he actually gives a reason for why he's helping out uh, the family in this film. Again, there's another another wife that's held captive. Uh, they don't give as good of a reason in this one. Um like the 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 bad guy in a fistful of dollars. Uh, what's his name? Ramon. Ramon. Yeah. Yeah. He he just he claims that this farmer was cheating at cards, so he just takes his wife. Yeah. He just, yeah. He does. He just takes his wife right in front of his son and everything else. And I, I'm I'm taking it that this is this takes place in Mexico, right on the border, because yes, uh, there there is. Uh, several scenes where they mention like the United States Army and the Mexican Army. There's a scene where there's a, a shootout involving um, both sets of of troops. But yes, but that's another. See, that's another thing. Like th- there are two gangs again in this town. Um, yeah, with rifles and liquor this time instead of silk. <laughs> yeah. Now we have rifles. Yeah, and <laughs> they still kept the liquor though. I like that. <laughs> yeah, liquor and guns. You know, you always got to keep the booze. This movie, you know, you you have Confederate gold because um, the one guy is the one guy's army, right? They they masquerade themselves as soldiers, correct? Yeah, they do, but I don't know if it's Confederate gold because they can't be Confederate gold because the the yeah, United no, States. Yeah, I'm sorry, it's because this, this yeah this happens pre uh, Civil War. Oh, does it happen pre Civil? I don't. I couldn't yeah, remember I'm, I'm when getting, it was. I'm getting this. I'm I'm getting this confused with uh, a good, a bad, the ugly. Gold. Yeah, good, bad, and the ugly. yeah. I know a good, bad, and the ugly. That does take place during the Civil War for sure. I do. I know that for a fact. But yeah, this one, yeah. this one is either before or after for sure because the uh, the American soldiers show up and they're in like the the dark blue uniforms and they're at the border meeting yeah. Mexican soldiers. So yeah, they're in their they're in their union. These guys, these guys, you know, get their hands on a Gatling gun. Luckily enough, in your Jimbo, there's only one gun. In this, they had to step the ante up a little bit and get a Catlin gun. Yeah, it it only shows up for the one scene, but it dude, it, that is a pretty pretty cool scene. Ramon, who works for the Rojos, um, and I, I think I think they're the ones that have the 
they're controlling the rifle trade in town. And then the, yeah, the gun trade. Yeah, then there's the Bacters, and they, they have the liquor. And anyway, Ramon has this uh, this plan in the movie. And this is where it's a little different from Yojimbo, where he decides instead of killing a, a government official that he's going to rob the Mexican and uh, United States Army and make it look like they both killed each other, you know, in, in a gun uh, in a gun trade. So it's, it's going to be a, a, a gun swap off. And anyway, they kill everybody, take the money. This is one of the few times in the, in the film where Leone actually it changes it from Yojimbo. So it's actually now something a, a little different. Now, granted, this does not happen much in this movie, but this is a cool scene. I will give him credit for that. He does have a lot of style, and that that's really what wins you over. Like even knowing that this movie is a complete ripoff of another film, the style of this film, the music, Clint Eastwood's badassness, it wins you over. And dude, Clint Eastwood is awesome, man. Dude, this guy playing Ramon, this guy is great. Yeah, he's a- now. See, this is what I will say is also. And he's also in a few uh, for a few dollars more as well. And where where Unotaki is more like a snake in the grass character, the Ramon character in this movie is an actual fucking badass. Yeah, well, that's what they have to do, right? Like in Yojimbo, he's like the only guy with the gun, you know. In Fistful of Dollars, he's everybody's a guy, got a gun. Yeah, right. Everybody's got a gun. So what does he do? He's really great with a rifle. He can just aim for the heart every time. Thanks kill anybody and that's kind of cool i i do like how they kind of give him that like you know that little superpower to, you know he's got something over he's got a little bit of an advantage over somebody who would say a six shoot well, exactly and they do a good job of like playing that up with clint eastwood you know it's like well you know a man with a rifle meeting a man with a pistol the men with the rifle will always win and clint yeah. eastwood's like yeah you think so he's like when he's straight up what is, what is his line when the when the, the, the bartender of the saloon, yeah, well, the bartender asks him, he's like, what are you doing? You know, he's like, oh, okay, okay, okay. like then he walks, he walks by the undertaker. Oh. <laughs> and I mean, the line, the line is the same. No, it's, it, like, it's the same, but did you, did you see what uh, Leon did? Leon, like, totally just story tops Kurosawa, because Kurosawa had three coffins, you know? Mafoni asked oh, for yeah. two, then he gets three. So what does Clint Eastwood do? He's like, give me three coffins. He goes up there, shoots them all. He's like, I'm sorry, I'm at four. You know what I mean? It's I like, how? That one up. Yeah, exactly. Like, you're one-upping that. Like, how did you not rip this off, man? I mean, the guy got sued for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. I mean, you know, don't get us wrong. Don't get us wrong. We both we both love your Jimbo, and we both love this for dollar. Yeah, it's straight rip-off. Yeah, and I love it when he goes up and kills those guys. He's got... He's got Got probably one of the most badass Clint Eastwood lines. I mean, you know, I'm Clint Eastwood's got a lot of badass lines. So this is not—I don't even know yeah. if it's top ten material. But he's like, I don't like you laughing at my mule. Yeah, because they're talking—they're calling this horse a freaking mule. He don't and take I mean, too kindly to you laughing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like back then, like it was seriously insulting to, to insult a man towards. That's like insulting his mom or his wife. Even though this is an Italian movie, this is in the 60s. You know, this is around the same time Dr. No came out. You know how the Bond films always treat women. I really liked um, Clint Eastwood. He punches the the wife that's being held captive by Ramon. You know, just like uh, the wife that's being held captive in Yojimbo. 
Uh, Clint Eastwood actually punches yeah. her in the face. Like, just cold cocks yeah, he her. does punch and dude, yeah, I, lo- I love the insert afterwards where he you get his close up with his reaction and he he rolls his eyes and you can tell he feels bad about knocking her out. That, dude, I've been watching a lot of movies here from the 60s and 70s. That right there is a rare shot. I mean, just yeah, watching him from a modern pers- perspective, it, it's a rare shot. Yeah. Well, I mean, he actually feels bad about, you know, it was an accident. I didn't mean to punch you in the face. Like, Clint Eastwood... Is not James Bond. He does not beat up women. <laughs> no, no, he does not. He does not want to want to want to smack. James no. Bond needs some information. He'll straight up smack the shit out of a girl. I'm just like, you're gonna give me this information. I'm just gonna keep smacking the shit out of your face. Yeah, Clint Eastwood. He 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 backs up, man. He slows his roll a little bit. He's like, no, no, no. I don't I don't hit a woman. I'm from the Wild West. I'll, I may shoot you in the back, but I won't hit a woman. I like that, yeah. man. It's it, it's it does stand out. There's something admirable about that. The Baxters, um, again, like they're set up uh, much like the Silk Merchants and Yojimbo. So there's a husband, a wife, and a son. You know, and they're kind of yeah. They're, I like how they make the wife in this one. She's still evil. She's almost the the monarch of the family. Yeah. You know, it's like she wears the britches here. You know, like you can tell. Like even the husband, like he disagrees with her. She kind of puts him in his place. It's got to, That's got to be a little weird. You know, this chick has brass balls to be doing this in the wild, wild west. This is something nice for a character. I do like that. They also don't make her want to portray Clint Eastwood. They actually make uh, the Rojo. No, no, no. She, yeah, you, you get the impression that she's actually kind of a little afraid of him. Yeah, like in, in Yojimbo, like the, the mom was all about like, yeah, let's kill this guy. We'll get our money back. We'll hire him and then we'll kill him. This mom doesn't do that. Uh, that scene is instead is actually played by the other camp, and it's it's the brother that comes in, and he's like, "Man, come on, I'll I'll just shoot this dude in the back, and I'll I'll get all my pesos off of him, and it'll be fine." And it's the yeah. other brother that kind of talks him out of it. It's I don't know, you know, it it works for this scene. Like I'm glad they did not make the mom so evil because when they burn her, you know, they burn the house down again. They actually give this mom a moment, and it's really dark. Yeah, that is that is kind of a dark scene right there. That old scene is is kind of like a dark moment. You almost kind of feel empathy for her. Oh no, dude, you totally feel sorry for her because the way Leon is like sh- is shooting the entire Rojo family and they're laughing like they have like smiles on their face. They're grinning. They're enjoying this, and they're just shooting everybody that's coming out of a burning house. They're such dicks. They are dicks. Unlike Kurosawa, who is free to let kind of everybody in the town, with the exception of a couple people, be the bad be the bad guys, I feel like Leon is clearly like, no, look, uh, the Rojo family, they're straight fucking evil. These other guys, we can deal with them. These Rojos, they they gotta go. And I mean, I do agree. I do agree with that. You know, where both both of the groups in Yojimbo were equally messed up. Like Leon made definitely made the Rojos. The more dominant and ruthless gangs, you know. Once again, we get we get. I mean, and this shot once again is shot scene for scene. They end up finding Clint Eastwood's characters been playing both sides. So they beat the shit out of him. I mean, they actually beat the shit out of him. I do like his escape scene a little bit more than but in it's Yojimbo. Almost, it's pretty much the same. No man, like when those guys come in and he throws that giant barrel down at him, and it just like. Freaking explodes when okay, it hits yeah, the door. That's different, but the whole, the whole under <laughs> that is the porch, great, man. 
the whole sneaking under the porch shit, dude. Come on. Okay, no, there is a there's a tremendous shot when he's walking out and he gets he gets under the porch of a house and he's under the deck and uh, Ramon comes up with his pistol and you see his foot and they're kick they're, the door in. No, no, uh, his foot his Uh-oh. foot's on the floor, but it lands right to next the floorboards. Yeah, yeah, right next to this giant crack or a piece missing in the wood on the floorboard, and you can actually see mm-hmm. Clint Eastwood's face underneath that. It almost looks like a matte shot, but it could just be a really powerful HMI under there because sometimes those create like really hard, distracting li- uh, lines around edges like that. But it's either the best matte shot for the, six- the early 60s or mid-60s, or it's just a it's an HMI blasting. I, I I can't really tell. And I all the research I did, I was not able to find out how they how they were how they got that shot. But man, it's it's a really really cool shot. I mean, you see it. It's it's for me. It stands out in the film because it's like wow, look at all that perspective they're getting. Definitely, it's an awesome shot, man. Overall, I mean, even the, even the the final scene, man, Clint Eastwood's character is walking down the street when he's confronting the Rojo gang and I did think that the, the interesting twist on this was Oh wait, are you talking about like after he's already been beaten and he comes back? Yeah. And, after oh, okay, been, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 The twist on this was whereas in Yojimbo, Sanji Sanjo had he had his plan with the with the shuriken. Okay. He knew if he could get one good shot in with the shuriken that it could disable the dude's hand with gun in it and he'd have a chance to take him out but with fistful of dollars you're going against a man with a rifle so what Clint Eastwood does he takes this freaking big metal plate and puts it over where his heart is because he knows this dude aims for the heart which Uh, I thought you know was really interesting and well Clint Eastwood also repeats it like every time he gets back up aim for the heart Ramon it's the only way you can kill me Ramon if you don't aim for the heart (laughs) you can't kill me it's a little cheese, but you know when he takes that uh, that metal plate off and you see Ramon's oh shit face. Oh man, it's totally worth it. Definitely, it's, it's totally. one of those great scenes where it's like, yeah, not only is he a badass, he's he's smart, he's got some brains, and you see what you even yes. see what he's doing. Like you see him shooting at the metal earlier. You know, there's a, like a little montage when he's like kind of recuperating from getting his ass kicked and. You know he's 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 sitting there shooting at some metal, and you know you you see the bullets bouncing off of it, and it's just denting that's the not, metal. That's not the scene where he's shooting at the suit of armor, is it? No, 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 no. It's after he's 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 gotten his ass kicked, right? And he's he's recuperating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I, yeah, I know. Yeah, really. About. And he's like in kind of that mine. Even he if you know what's going to happen, I mean, I think I think everybody knows it's going to happen. Like once because they because it's so blatantly obvious that they're going to do that. But yeah. it's still a great moment when he just pulls up his poncho and just tugs on the rope and the middle plate falls down with all the bullet shots in it. You know, it's just, it's a cool scene. And again, it's like, yo Jimbo, where we're talking about with the swords. I think, I think Kurosawa does a little bit better with the swords and how they're, they're fast. It, it feels a lot more violent and everything, but in terms of these gun battles and the build up to them, the anticipation and how quick they're over, man, this is done so well. I mean, you look at these shots. You look at the eye lines, uh, the feet. Like they're cl- they're just close ups of feet in this, and you can see the the feet pointing certain ways, and all these low angle shots yeah. of our hero with Clint Eastwood like walking up and the close up of the eyes, and it's well done. 
and you substitute a bamboo shoot for a cigar. Yes, sir. You know, okay, now that we've talked about Fistful of Dollars, you know one thing I really, really, really dislike? He Hmm. kept it from Yojimbo, and I understand. We've talked about it. I brought it up for a reason we were talking about Yojimbo. The husband that has his wife stolen, he still lives right, right next to the house where his wife is kept. Where Ramon comes over yep. and has sex with his wife and then leaves. And him and his son still yep. live next door. And there are still people that yep. are like, get out of town. We're going to beat your ass. Why is he living right next door? Like, why doesn't Ramon... Hey, like, man, he loves his wife, I guess. Man. I know, but like, why would Ramon, as a bad guy, keep... You know what I mean? Like, I guess unless he's doing it yeah, just why? to be a dick. Yeah, that dude, that... Why else would you do that? And furthermore, well, like, why would you keep? Why would you dick. keep your mistress that you stole uh, from some guy? Wh- why would you keep her off of your property? Like, why would you keep her in a in a house like five miles away or something? You're a dick, and you want this guy to know that you're plowing his plowing it to his old lady every night. Yeah, it's just it's just one of those things where it's like that made sense for a Japanese film, and the minute you took it and you placed it in an American movie or even though this is an Italian film, this is supposed to take place in America, right? It just doesn't make sense, man. It's just like, wait, why are you doing that? It's just, it, it's, it a, it's a Western. Yeah, it's and they a, do have guns. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a, yeah, right. It's a cultural difference, and it just, it doesn't translate over into a Western uh, at, that's supposed to be taking place in the Wild West. It doesn't translate very well. Well, dude, do you ever think for a fact that this guy's just a nasty ass coward, man? Well, I mean, even if he is, like, why would, I mean, like, why would, why would you stay right there? Like, why would you, why would you put, uh, I don't know, maybe Ramon's like, if you leave, I'll kill her. Or if you leave, I'll kill your son. No, no, no. I mean, they straight up tell him if like, if he sees her, they're going to kill his kid. So I'm saying, yeah, if, if you're a Mexican farmer and your wife is already gone, but you're living next door and your son with the same woman is living with you. Of course, the, the boy's going to want to see his mom. It's like, dude, just for yeah. the safety of the kid, like, I don't know. I know I'm harping on this. It just, it it bothers me. I mean, Fistful of Dollars is great, but that's one of those things where it's like, they remade it and they, they could have done something a little different there, or they could, you know what I mean? They could have done something and, and spun that in a yeah. little way and added something to it and made it a little different, well, but they, 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 but they, they chose not to. They switched it over and made it where... Well, yeah, they could have switched it over and made it to where, like, the dude did try to stand up and go take his wife back. And then Clint Eastwood's character, you know, the man with no name, comes in and, and kind of helps him out and kind of saves him, saves the day, you know. Final thoughts, Yo Jimbo, Fistful of Dollars. What you got for me? Yo Jimbo is a great film. I love, you know, Edo-style and Samurai-style movies. These movies have influenced so much, so many other movies that I love and watch. Yojimbo in itself is a piece of classic Japanese cinema. Even though Fistful of Dollars is kind of a ripoff, but it's its own ripoff, and spawns something completely different that came out of it, I feel like Yojimbo definitely is a movie that I recommend to anybody and everybody watching, and Fistful of Dollars as well, because even though they have a lot of, lot of similarities, they're both exceptionally well-filmed, movies exceptionally well told movies and just all together entertaining as hell and i love both of the films i have to second that paul i 
I love both of these movies as well. Um, no argument there. Uh, Yojimbo is definitely the better of the of the two. I just put it like this: Yojimbo is watching an artist at the top of his craft, and that's Kurosawa directing this movie and all the technicians he's employing. A fistful of dollars is a great artist at the very beginning of his career. He's still making a lot of the mistakes and he's still figuring some things out. I mean, you have to re- remember this is this is very early for Sergei Leone, way before um you know, a Once Upon a Time in America, Once Upon a Time in the West, which is probably peak Leone for me personally. He just doesn't have the command of the story quite the way that Kurosawa does. And he also you know, you also got to ding it a little bit, the fact that he just completely ripped this off. I mean, there is absolutely nothing original um, really about it. I mean, he, he took the story for Yojimbo. I feel like elements that Kurosawa was influenced by, Leon, I think I was actually even reading, there's a, there's a quote from Leon where he's like, yeah, Yojimbo just seemed like it, it just felt like it, it felt like it fit that kind of story. It was, it was made to be a Western. Like, no shit. Kurosawa intended that. A Fistful of Dollars does still have a lot of good elements. The shots are great. The The filmmaking is great. The music is terrific. It's just, sadly, it's just, it's not Yojimbo. If you're not a Kurosawa fan, if you've never even seen a Kurosawa film, I highly, highly recommend, you know, uh, Yojimbo is a great place to start. You know, I don't even yeah. know if I'd put it in my top five Kurosawa. Maybe I would. Maybe, maybe like number five. I do recognize it's, it's easily one of his most accessible films and surely one of his most entertaining. When you put this film in, I mean, it's like, what, an hour 40, hour 50 minutes long, somewhere in that ballpark? Yeah. Man, you don't feel the runtime at all. It is over so quick. And, I mean, I, I, I really feel the same way about both of those movies when it comes to that. It's like, once you start watching it, it's like it's almost like a roller coaster ride. You're so excited about watching it, next thing you know it's over. You've been listening to the Movie Crew Podcast. If you guys want to get in touch with us, our email address is themoviecrew at gmail.com. That's themoviecrew, and crew will be spelled C-R-E-W-E. That's right, extra E at the end, at gmail.com. Uh, we're on Facebook and Twitter, at Movie Crew Pod. Guys can follow us on social media there. Please give us a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Helps people find out about the show, and we would surely appreciate that. Paul, where can people follow you, sir? Uh, People can follow me at PaulRWilliamsJ1 on Twitter. And I would also like to give a shout-out to uh, Mr. C.J. Lee, Aquarius Weapon. Please, please, please go to his YouTube channel, Aquarius Weapon, YouTube.com. And show him support and love. Yeah, he does. Uh, he does is good work, and you know he's actually done some really good uh, rendition of some uh, some video games tunes that you guys should check out as well. We post him. Uh, we try to keep up posting him on, on Facebook and Twitter, um, but he's putting stuff out so so frequently. I can't always, unfortunately, keep up. So um, be sure to check him out on Twitter. Uh, I think it's at Aquarius Weapon, and then um, he's on SoundCloud as well. And you can. You can follow all this stuff from there. Please listen to that. Uh, great music. And speaking of music, you know how we close out the show every night with a little bit of music. Yes, sir. Tonight is no exception. 
Uh, we're going to be playing a little bit from the Yojimbo soundtrack. This is from composer Marsaro Satu. Uh, this is going to be the theme from Yojimbo. And then after that, we are also going to be playing the theme from A Fistful of Dollars by the tremendous Enrico Maricconi. Enjoy. Thank you. 
Thank you.